Manish, thank you for joining through this call. So Manish Sabarwal, he's the co-founder and chairman of Team Lease Services. Uh, and and, and, and as, as I've put on Twitter, I've put on LinkedIn everywhere. He's one of the finest minds, finest voices in our country today. Manish is the co-founder and chairman of Team Lease Services, the largest staffing and human capital firm in India. He also serves as an independent director on the board of the Reserve Bank of India, RBI. Manish's career and experience span more than three decades. In 1996, he co-founded India's Life Pension Services, which was acquired in 2002. So this is all pre the startup noise that we hear. So he's been a startup and an entrepreneur forever. For the next two years, he was the managing director of Hewitt Outsourcing Services Asia, following which he co-founded Team Lease and we all know about uh, Team Lease today. A member of the National Skill Mission and the Central Advisory Board of Education, Manish is also on various state and central government committees on education, employment and employability. What sense, you know, do you make of the Indian GDP right now? Because every day we are hearing about new numbers and Barclays said 0% growth. So there's no growth happening. What do you decode of this GDP number in the country right now? Well, I think it's unmodelable. Anybody who's um, making models is will have the efficacy of palm reading or astrology. I mean, we don't know whether we are at the start or middle or the end of the virus. Only when we know when the lockdown ends, will we be able to model what is the whether the recovery will be V-shaped or U-shaped or bathtub-shaped because V-shaped doesn't look like it's going to happen which means you immediately come up and go back. So I think the challenge is between U-shaped and bathtub-shaped and that is because everything we are doing to murder the virus is murdering the economy. And yeah. that, may be the, that may be the right sequence but that doesn't make it easier. And I think the time for sort of lifting this one-size-fits-all lockdown has to go because every city, every individual, every come. I mean, we are all in the same storm, but we're not in the same boat. And I think that the recognition that you need partial liftdown has already happened. But because of the partial liftdown, GDP will take longer because supply chains don't follow the red, green, yellow zone. Um, customers don't follow yet green, yellow zone. So my sense is that till we have a, a, a notion of when um, we will have a full lift up, we will not be able to model GDP. I mean, we had a light at the end of the tunnel of 3rd May, but that light turned out to be an incoming train, so it can't be helped now. Yeah. And and we've left it, you know, epidemiologists have turned out to be like economists, right? They can't agree with what they said yesterday and they don't agree with each other. But we still have to let epidemiologists lead the decision rather than economists. Yeah, yeah. And Manish, you know, you have seen this. If I may, you know, jump straight into in the beginning itself. What are some of the immediate measures that you think that we should be taking as a country to come out of this? Like the come out of the economic impact that we are seeing. You know, every day, I don't know if you've seen that every day on Twitter, uh, uh, on social media, we are seeing so many people are being laid off also. I mean, there will be a lot of economic pain, uh, pain, an economic and a anthropological cataclysm that the COVID virus is. It would be delusional to believe that there will be no labor market effects. There will be job cuts. There will be salary cuts. There will be companies going out of business. I mean, shareholders and banks don't pay salaries. Customers do. 
um, you know, companies are rivers; they are not ponds, and the river has stopped in the in the recent sort of forty-five days. So, there will be a lot of pain. Now, we are going to have to try and make sure that the pain that we have is is restricted to people who can handle the pain. The yeah. broader shoulders should carry the pain. India is inadequately formalized, inadequately urbanized, inadequately industrialized, inadequately financialized, inadequately skilled. You know, it wasn't God's will that it should take 72 years for 1.3 billion Indians to cross the GDP of 66 million Britishers. We did that last year. We should have done it decades ago. So, I think it is delusional to expect the Indian economy to behave differently in wartime than it does in peacetime, which is why all of us should be fighting for reforms in, you know, regulatory cholesterol. in banks in 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 many things that are sort of holding india back or holding our citizens back i don't think their cultural explanation so i think in structural reform we need to do a lot of education reform you know only seven universities out of 966 are allowed to officially do online learning mm-hmm. um overseas universities have signed up 100000 students in the last 40 days so this is an apartheid which um discriminates against indian universities um, we are inadequately financialized we have a 50% credit gdp ratio because the number of banks has stayed between 90 and 100 since 1947 obviously there's a lot of short term stuff we can do right so there's flick of pen reforms which are reforms which you can do by changing laws and there's structural reforms so flick of pen reforms are obvious to me you should make employee provident fund voluntary you can subsidize employer provident fund you should give all companies their tax refunds which are pending you should give an esi holiday for 18 months make esi contributions at 1 rupee per employee because esi already has 80000 crores of surplus you should pass a single labor code and get rid of all the compliances you know if you think of indian compliance there are 57000 compliances for employers there are 3100 filings and these change eight times a day i mean big companies can handle this regulatory cholesterol so we need a to take an axe through the compliance regime that we have in india ease of doing business rankings have been going up without our daily lives changing now it's nice to have ease of doing banking going up but we need less forms less compliances and out of the 57000 compliances 15000 of them prescribe jail that yeah. makes no sense um why would you criminalize civil offenses so i think that this is a you know there's a political economist called john kingdom he always says that reform only happens when the problem the opportunity and the timing comes together i think we have a massive policy window because of the corona virus and we need to make life easy for entrepreneurs we need to make life easy for firms and we need to take advantage of china's problems you know china's wages have gone up their brand has been damaged by the virus and trump is making their life miserable with the trade war this is india's opportunity which we missed in the 90s and 2000s to increase manufacturing so i think if we do education reform financial reform regulatory cholesterol reform city reform i mean in india everybody knows what to do i think we should just get it done if we have to capitalize right now and look at the from the lens of productivity which you talk so so eloquently about tell us how can we do that and what should we be doing i mean we just need to improve the productivity of our cities we need to improve the productivity of our firms and we need to improve the productivity of our individuals you know up has the same gdp as karnataka even though it has less than one third the number of people 
Now, people in Karnataka are not three times smarter than people in UP. We just, the government makes life difficult for people in UP to create high performance jobs and to create. So, so I think we need to have governance reform. We need real mayors, right? 29 chief ministers matter more than one prime minister. Actually, 200 mayors matter more than uh, 29 chief ministers. Unfortunately, we don't have mayors. But, you know, in history, we did. You know, in 1924, Jawaharlal Nehru was the mayor of Allahabad. Vallabhai Patel was the mayor of Ahmedabad. And Chitranjan Nasir mayor of Calcutta. And they used to talk about school teacher absenteeism. They used to talk about street lights. They used to talk about cleanliness. So job creation actually is where the rubber meets the road. So we need to have CEOs of cities because the GDP of New York is equal to Russia for a reason. Cities are the engine of prosperity. I know cities are getting a bad name in the pandemic, but we will get over that. The next thing is we need much more productive firms. Um, if you small firms, you know, as an entrepreneur, there are two kinds of companies you can create a baby and a dwarf. A baby and a dwarf are both small, but the baby is going to grow and the dwarf is going to stay there. When you're young, you think the difference between a baby and a dwarf is more money or more food, but it's not more food. It is in DNA. So India is a nation of corporate dwarfs, right? We have 6.63 million enterprises, 12 million of them don't have an office, 12 million work from home, only 12 million are registered for GST, only 1 million pay social security, PF or ESI. But most tragically, there are only 19,500 companies in India with a paid up capital of more than 10 crores. So 6.3 crore enterprises doesn't matter if you only have 19,000. So for that, we need to reduce the regulatory cholesterol. For that, we need to get banks to be financing more. For that, we need a more vibrant venture capital market. For that, And I think many of the preconditions of sort of the labor market where people from big companies weren't willing to join small companies has already changed in the last five or ten years. So mm -hmm. I think that now the, it's, it's up to the government to make us a much more um, interesting, safer, and easier place and a more fertile habitat for doing jobs of course, at the individual level, we need to raise skills, right? I mean, we need to fix our school system. 265 lakh kids take the class 12th exam every year, 105 lakh fail. 160 lakh kids take the class 12th exam every year, 80 lakh fail. Out of the 80 lakh who pass, 50 lakh go to college and 30 lakh disappear. We can't have those levels of failure. We also have very big problems of employability. You know, we, we only have 5 lakh apprentices in India. If Germany has 2.7% of its labor force, if we had the same number, we would have 15 million apprentices. You know, learning by doing and learning while learning is one of the most powerful ways of learning. In any way, in a world where Google knows everything, you know, knowing is useless. You know, you have to shift how learning to learn. You know, one of my favorite Irish poets is William Butler Yeats. He used to say, education is not the filling of a bucket, it is the lighting of a fire. You know, I went to CBSC. My education was the filling of a bucket. But I think a 21st century education will surely not be the filling of a bucket. So the most important um, skill for individuals will be learning how to learn. Will be recognizing that college isn't what it used to be, right? I mean, 60% yeah. of taxi drivers in Korea now have a college degree. 31% of retail checkout clerks in the U.S. have a college degree. 15% of high-end security guards in India now have a college degree. So college isn't what it used to be, but college matters, right? I mean, I, I went to Wharton, my uh, colleague went to IAM. These are good places to be at, but better places to be from, right? The fundamental value is being from IIT or from IAM. It's not being at IIT or IAM. So my sense is that I think the education system, vocational training and school system needs to be fixed for individuals, 
for businesses, we need a more fertile habitat. And for cities, we need better governance and we need, we need reform. We don't need 59 ministries in India. The U Japan only has eight ministries. U.S. only has 14. U.K. has 20. So all this regulatory cholesterol with 250 secretaries to the government of India, 75 people in the cabinet, they don't have anything other to do other than make our life miserable. So I think we need, we need, we need the government to do less so it can do more. We need the government to do more in education. We need the government to do more in healthcare. We need the but we don't need the government to own airlines, hotels, or ask for 57,000 compliances and 3,100 filings. Where is the cash going to come and what do you think should be done to get the banks to revive fast? Because if the money liquidity is not coming, then it's just going to get bad and bad for us. I, I think it's you have to be a little careful in the expectations from a central bank. A central bank is not a commercial bank. I mean, I don't think we can do what the U.S. Fed is doing. It's expanded its balance sheet by $1 trillion in the last seven days and two trillion dollars in the last 14 days. But most importantly, the US government is going to be borrowing $3 trillion in April, May and June. You know, that's our GDP. So I think we can't do what the US has done. Uh, we should have, you know, reformed our economy much earlier. So the banking system also has pre-existing conditions. So, but the central bank can help with liquidity. It can't help with solvency. See, many of the problems are solvency right now, right? So yeah. actually, there's not a problem of liquidity. You know, it's, it's public domain. Banks are dumping 7 lakh crores. Last night, they lent us 8 lakh crores. Um, usually, it's about 1 lakh crores in the reverse repo, which is what banks sort of give RBI overnight. And we have cut the rates to almost 3%. And they are still giving us 8 lakh crores because there is so much risk aversion. You know, right now, banks aren't looking at return on capital. They're looking at return off capital, <laughs> just give us our money back. And so banks can't provide equity. I, I, I think that that's really so. So sometimes, you know, it's, it's OK to be angry with banks. They're not always nice people there. But um, banks have depositors and depositors are not taking equity risks. So, you know, bank shareholders can be punished. But bank depositors are who give the money for lending. And, you know, we just came out of a 14 lakh crore bad loan crisis, right? Yeah. Between 2008 and 2014, bank credit expanded from 18 lakh crore to 54 lakh crore in six years. And that's why we had 14 lakh crores in bad loans, because, you know, it, it was given to people who couldn't. So I think we have to be a little careful with the expectations from a central bank or a bank to provide equity. As far as some fiscal stimulus concern, uh, is concerned, I think it will be coming very soon. It was supposed to come. Uh, it probably may come this week or early next week, in which case. Uh, but the order of priority of a fiscal stimulus will first be vulnerable citizens, yeah. then it will be MSMEs, then it will be big companies, and then it will be the finance banking system, right? Yeah. I think many of us who work in companies would like to get in line first. But yeah. right now that we want to make sure that unemployment doesn't get converted to hunger. Yeah. And, and for small companies, a temporary liquidity crisis doesn't get converted into insolvency. Yeah, yeah. Now, the second one is really hard to do because we don't have the financial plumbing to identify how to get money to companies. Um, you know, for poor people, you can still use Jandhan, you can still use Ujwala, you can make, we figured out some financial plumbing. But I would be careful with throwing money from helicopters because it will obviously get to people who don't need it or um, and it's hard to target. So this also reminds us why reform is so important in peacetime because you can be resilient um, in, yeah. in bad times.
I think also it's a lesson for entrepreneurs, right? In the last five, 10 years, all of us had forgotten about resilience being as important as performance. <laughs> you know, all we cared about was, um, you know, growth and we, we never thought about our ability to handle a downturn. And I think things like this are reminders about how our capital structures got out of whack, how you should not borrow your equity. You know, debt is an instrument which should be used once your cap table is stabilized. I, I think there are many now your fixed costs have to be in control. You know, entrepreneurship in the best of times is the art of staying alive long enough to get lucky. But in times like this, that is the only thing entrepreneurs should focus on is because the strong will get stronger and the weak will get weaker. Yeah. I mean, there are many opportunities emerging from this crisis. Yeah. The middle class is anyways a shaky ground. It's a new middle class. A lot of the new middle class, which has come, has come in the recent years. So, so anyways, they'll go below the middle class belt and the poor are going to get poorer. And, and, and that's like a huge significant 60% of our population. So I want you to tell us what should be done, what can be done for that segment. And the second thing is, you know, a, a space very close because when I look at Germany, I think Germany and all these economies are doing well because they're Mittelstand, right? Like the SMEs, they're a very, very strong force. But if you have to look at these two segments, what would you specifically say should be done to address the pain right now? I don't think you can do anything which is targeted based on size, right? I think that um, Mittelstand may be small, but it is highly productive. Yes. See, I think there is a difference between formal and informal, small and big. I think those two are irrelevant as long as you are productive. See, if you rank manufacturing companies in India by size, at the 90th percentile and 10th percentile, there's a 22 times difference in productivity. Now, if you're not productive, you can't pay the wage premium. If you don't pay the wage premium, you'll never be productive, hmm. right? So you're stuck in this low-level equilibrium of being a dwarf where you can't attract human capital or, or, or financial capital because you're not productive. But unless you do that, you'll never be productive. So I think the, we, we must not confuse the Mittelstand with MSMEs because Mittelstand are very global companies. They're highly productive companies. They are highly capital intensive companies. You know, they are, they're, they're not as labor intensive as our, as our companies. So India's problem is our labor is handicapped without capital and our capital is handicapped without labor. Yeah. Right. Places 63 million enterprises have lots of labor and no capital. And then the 19,500 companies have lots of capital and no labor. So I say for MSMEs right now, the credit backstop or some kind of credit guarantee which may come in um, in the fiscal will be the only way to get them a 5 or 10 or 15 percent increase in their working capital limit. I, I think if you're looking to raise ex new bank loans at this time, you can forget it. I mean, yeah. you can look for a, you can look for an expansion of your existing bank loans. But so so for MSMEs, there will have to be some credit guarantee, some expansion of working capital at this point. There will have to be some regulatory forbearance, um, yeah. which we have already given that banks don't have to recognize bad loans for three months and then maybe for another six months based on the um rollover or the moratorium that has been given but um as far as msmes goes i i mean it may sound brutal but we don't need 63 million enterprises in india the u.s economy is nine times our size and it only has 23 million enterprises mm -hmm. so i think that a lot of enterprises in india are not self-employment they are self-exploitation 
right? You don't, you know, there was an idiot Russian economist called Chaynov who convinced Nehru in the 1920s that small farms are viable because you don't have to pay yourself a salary, you don't have to pay your kids a salary, and you don't have to charge rent on your land. Many MSMEs don't price their themselves, the entrepreneurs, they don't price labor. And that may be one way to think about viability, but that's not a way to think about productivity. Yeah, yeah. So I think that... Over the last 20 years since reform began, GST, and obviously in the last five years, GST plus demonetization, makes regulatory arbitrage a very different business, difficult business model. Mm. You know, many of these MSMEs survived because they didn't pay taxes. This is not a time for lecturing them on morality, but it is a time to recognize that, um, you know, honest entrepreneurs who pay their taxes or who comply with minimum wage laws and who pay PF and who pay ESI are often disadvantaged with people who don't. Yeah. So I would I would say that people who are who are compliant, people who are a little liquid will find at the end of these three months, there will be opportunities that they could not have imagined. I mean, digital learning has been brought from 2030 to 2020 in one month. Digital payments, you know, in January, we crossed a billion a month on UPI. I think we'll do a billion a day has been brought forward by five years, right? I think that so so there'll be many more opportunities for different kinds of entrepreneurs. MSMEs will suffer. I think the poor, we just have to do an income transfer. We have to figure out how to get money for three months or six months in the hands of 20 to 25 percent of our population. I don't think universal is a word we should use in India because we can't afford it. Yeah. Too many people. So it will be have to be a defined. It will be have to be a targeted cash transfer at the poor. And I think that is what is being considered. But if you have to look at the crisis and how people and com uh, countries have emerged out of crisis, then what are some of the things that you would tell us, tell the government, tell all of us to look at? Well, I think we are suffering more uh, because in the crisis because of a mistake we made in 1947. See, India took two huge risks in 1947, a political risk and an economic risk. The political risk paid off spectacularly. No country had given votes to everybody in the population before India, right? First, you gave it to rich people, then you gave it to landed, then you gave it to educated. Some women in Switzerland got to vote in 1971. So obviously, we that we have created the world's largest democracy on the infertile soil of the world's most hierarchical society, which is not a small accomplishment, but we didn't create the world's largest economy. And so I, we have to ask ourselves that question because there's nothing cultural about our poverty. You know, I landed in the U.S. in August 94 for my MBA. And by September, I was asking myself, these Americans are smarter than us. Why are they richer than us? I mean, clearly, I can kick their butt individually because productivity was embedded in the air. It was embedded in the institutions. It was embedded in the capital markets. It was embedded in the entrepreneurs. See, the mistake we made after 1947 was the 1955 Avadi resolution, which then became the 19. 56 second five-year plan, which kneecapped startups, which kneecapped entrepreneurs, which put the public sector in charge, which nationalized banks. And today, India's per capita income is $2,000. But Korea's was the same as India in 1960. Singapore was the same as India in 1965. And China was the same as India in 1995. So the per capita income, we, we, we must recognize that we have not made the down payments. You know, you can't predict the future. You have to make yourself worthy of the future as an entrepreneur, as a country. And we did not urbanize, financialize, industrialize, uh, and formalize and skill ourselves enough. I mean, finally, 
India doesn't have a jobs problem. We have a wages problem. If you think we have a jobs problem, you'll throw money from helicopters, you'll mandate a three-day work week, you'll take away farmers' tractors and give them spoons because it will keep them busy digging, right? But if you think India's problem is wages, which is what I think it is, then you, you, we must use this opportunity to formalize India, reduce the regulatory cholesterol, urbanize India. We only have 52 cities with more than a million people. We need to, China has 375. I mean, we have six lakh villages, two lakh of those villages have less than 200 people. You know, we have probably all these migrant images which you are seeing, but we have 67 million internal migrants in India out of our population. Of them, working is about 40 million. Only 1 million have really gone back, and that also has not gone back. And everybody's probably coming back very soon because there's going to be a wage spike at the bottom of the pyramid for the first 30 days after the lockdown because there are not enough people. We're already yeah. seeing that. So you can't take jobs to people. You have to take people to jobs. And I think that that is, uh, we have failed in creating 200 new cities where jobs can be created. So we need to organize. We need to financialize. We need a lot more fintech entrepreneurs. UPI is an innovation, which Google just wrote a letter to the Federal Reserve to copy. And I think that um, we need to issue more bank licenses. We need to raise credit to GDP ratio from 50% to 100%. You know, China's 300% is the wrong number, but 100% credit to GDP ratio is what we should be at. And it's obvious. We need more bank licenses, we need more fintechs, we need better regulation supervision, we need to think about how to handle public sector banks. Yeah. So my sense is, I, you know, I, I will come back to the five things, urbanize, financialize, industrialize, formalize, and scale. If we do these five, we will be fine. How are we going to do these things? You can influence the government to look at it. I think we're making progress, but I think this is a great window. You know, there's old story about this frog in a well who never comes out, right? They keep, one day he's sitting outside the well. So they ask him what happened. So he says, look in the well, there's a big black snake, <laughs> right? So I think coronavirus is our big black snake. <laughs> I think that um, we will have no choice. There will be a lot of pain, pain which will be transmitted to the political system. The political system doesn't have the resources to throw money from helicopters. I mean, any amount of CSR, any amount of yeah. fiscal deficit, any amount of monetary financing cannot give livelihoods to 550 million. You know, if the economy is going to remain at this level, and that's what all the economists are saying for the next two years, and, and there is no, there is this lack of job, and that's a huge segment. Like, how do you think this segment will recover? Besides, I, I don't think I don't think economists know that things will stay for two years. I think it's premature. I think this is a very difficult time. But in the short run, we won't face shortages for labor because employers are only going to operate at 30, 40, 50, 60 percent capacity in the short run. So I think that right now, as factories are opening up, most of our customers out of the 3000 customers, most of them are at 25 percent capacity utilization. Next week, many of them are planning to move to 50 percent capacity utilization. So you will not hit capacity constraints on labor till you get to about 75 percent. Hmm. And my sense is that the wage mark, there, there is not much to do in the villages that these people live. I mean, agriculture is 45% of the labor force. It only generates 14% of GDP. Yeah. If all these, if all these um, migrants were voluntary migrants, that would be different. These are all involuntary migrants. They are refugees trying to escape economic wastelands where there is nothing to do. And, you know, 10% of Kerala is now Bihari. 
Why is that? Because 10% of Kerala went to um, the Middle East, right? Yeah. <laughs> but that means both of them were economic wastelands, right? Kerala is an economic wasteland, which is why people went to the Middle East. And because it created a remittance economy, you had 10% bringing from Bihar. Yeah. So I think that this, this crisis has highlighted many fault points between employer and employees, between liquidity and solvency, between residents and migrants. And so I think that this crisis hopefully is going to, you know, India doesn't change for a better option. She changes when you have no option. <laughs> and I think in the next three months, we have no option because there will be widespread. So we will manage the hunger. I think that our plumbing is now able to handle hunger. But I think Indians uh, are no longer willing to accept um, roti kapra makan. Their aspirations are much yeah. higher than they used to be. And so yeah. politicians are, are going to have to respond to that. Education, employability and employment. If we have to get it right and we have to get it right now, what should we, we be doing? See, I think the, 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 prob you, the question of why countries are poor is more interesting, is very interesting. But how, what do you do about poverty is even more interesting to me, right? Poverty is about productivity and um, the infrastructure of opportunity. Which you, we, we, when we think of infrastructure, we think of roads, we think of power plants, but there is an infrastructure of opportunity, which may be employment exchanges, which may be apprenticeships, which may be um, colleges, which give you employability and a degree, which may be online learning, they're, 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 or, or, or just Nokri.com is part of the infrastructure yeah, of opportunity yeah. in my mind, right? So I'd, I'd say that the infrastructure of opportunity has been massively underinvested, and particularly in government schools, right? Right? Only 45% of Indians go to government schools. If anything should be a free in a country of quality, it should be schools. Yeah. But only 8% of people in Japan go to private schools. Only 15% of Americans go to private schools. I've got nothing against private schools. I went to one. But we, you know, 55% of Indians in private schools is, is, is absolutely the wrong number because yeah. not many people can afford private schools. So we have to fix our schools, because in the repair, prepare and upgrade continuum that um, human capital is about, you know, you can't repair somebody, you can't teach somebody in three months what they should have learned in 12 years. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So so prepare is absolutely the foundation. And in fact, in India's labor market, where our, China's farm to non-farm transition happened to factories, India's farm to non-farm transition is happening to sales. Sales, customer service, and logistics was the three fastest growing segment of India's job market. So actually, the school premium is worth more than this than the college premium because schools teaches you the three R's of reading, writing, and arithmetic, and I'd add the fourth R of relationships um, or soft skills because soft skills matter more than hard skills in a and curiosity matters more than intelligence in a service economy. So I'd say getting the school K twelve is as important as getting your skill system and your college system right. I think you need to do matching, which may be employment exchanges or Nokri. Last year, 1,200 employment exchanges the government runs to the four core people registered. It only gave two like jobs. I mean, they are they are dysfunctional. But, you know, it's a very important institution. The Nobel Prize in Economics went to Peter Diamond for his work on search costs and labor markets. How does a kid in Darbanga find a job in Patna or a kid in, you know, Durgapur find a job in Calcutta? Forget about finding a job in Bangalore. So I think that the matching, which, and it's not all electronic. I mean, some of it, otherwise Nokri would have solved the problem. So I would say between thinking about the problem as 
matching, which is connecting demand to supply, mismatch, which is repairing supply for demand, and pipeline, which is preparing for supply for demand, we can fix the three E's. And there are various specific government programs, and there's various laws you can do, various institutions you can do. But repair, prepare, and upgrade, and matching, and and uh, are are sort of the interventions that would may give most Indians the opportunity that um, that if they had, they were, we would not be a poor country. I mean, it was it isn't God's will that India should be a poor country. It is regulatory cholesterol and the lack of institutional engagement over 40 years. Yeah. Right now, there's so much of uncertainty with jobs, you know, the layoffs happening. And, 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 and if you meet young people, they are a little scared of the overall uncertainty what will happen to their dreams to their prospects if you had to tell them that you know these are some of the things that they should keep in their mind what would that be at this well time? i think that that this is the next 25 years in india will be completely different from the last 25 years this is our time we have made we we should have made more down payments but since the reforms began in 1991 we began to dismantle a regulatory regime which was um hostile to entrepreneurship and um i think that all of us who do startups recognize the odds of startups many very few startups um grow and even fewer startups succeed but that doesn't mean, I mean, you want to guarantee, go buy a toaster, right? I mean, the only guarantees in life come with the appliances. They don't come with careers. They don't come with jobs. They don't come with anything else. So my view of the world, which I think most entrepreneurs tend to share, is that entrepreneurship is the art of staying alive long enough to get lucky. You know, we good judgment comes from experience. Experience comes from bad judgment. <laughs> so uh, I, uh, I, I think that all of, all of, all, you, we will, employment has shifted from being a lifetime contract as my parents spent their entire lives in one career and one job. It's shifted to being a taxi cab relationship. It's short, it's sweet, it must be intense. But the most important criteria you should use should be learning, right? Yeah, yeah. I think it's the wrong filter to think about, should I join a multinational or an Indian company? Should I join a big company or a small company? Should I join a manufacturing company or a service company? The only filter which you should use for evaluating a company is, is it a growth company? Yeah. And because that's where you really learn. So, you know, one company or the other, you should look at it as a portfolio of skills. And only other I would add after this crisis, which I, which I think many of us knew for a long time and were a little baffled by some of the entrepreneurship going on in the last few years, was that resilience is important. You know, mm -hmm. being consistently warm is better than hot or cold. You know, Ludo is a better game to play than snakes and ladders, right? Because Ludo <laughs> is more laborious. You know where you're going, you'll eventually get there. Most people <laughs> don't realize the snakes are longer than the ladders and they're more snakes than ladders, right? So, so consistently warm rather than hot or cold is not lack of ambition. Yeah. I, I think that, you know, customers pay salaries, not shareholders. Yeah. And so I, I would... For, start, for people who are looking to work with startups, I think in addition to their growth potential and their addressable market and everything else, you must evaluate their resilience. Because in the next 25 years, the compounding that has begun in India around our domestic consumption is just beginning. So I would, you know, this is, this is a passing shower for India. It's not climate change. It's climate change for the West. I think that aging economies, you know, the sale of adult diapers cross baby diapers in Japan. Um, and it's, you know, their population will come down from 125 million to 75 million in the next 25 years. And for India, this is when our per capita income will go from 2000 to $10,000 
whoever is in government, whether Corona is here, whatever happens in elections, but India is going to $10,000 per capita income and that will create unique opportunities for everybody. We had to take one thing from you, one learning which you did right as an entrepreneur, what would that be? I think it would be understanding the power of compounding, the power of compounding in building an organization, the power of compounding in relationships, the power of compounding in knowledge, and the power of compounding in money. But the money is the least interesting. But um, I think, um, you know, a great company takes 15, 20 years, 25 years to build. We are 17 years old and we are still a baby in diapers. I mean, we are just getting started. You know, um, we are. So I think compounding in building a company is key. Compounding in knowledge. I mean, I have read a book a week for 25 years. Um, and yeah, I it shows in every word that you speak. Let me just interject well, and tell I'm you that. Yeah. Older, older, oh, I'm old, but that makes me older, wiser and therefore more dangerous. Right? <laughs> but, but I would say that, you know, when people ask about entrepreneurship or building a company, you know, I have my favorite, I have a Calvin and Hobbes cartoon in my office where Calvin says the secret to success is being in the right place at the right time. Since you never know the right time, you find the right place and hang out and he goes to sleep. There, right? <laughs> <laughs> That's what we're doing with um, Team Lease. We are, the right time has not come. The regulatory cholesterol has not gone. A university, UGC still exists. They make our life miserable. Apprenticeship Act has not been amended. I can list 10 sort of regulatory cholesterols holding us back. But, you know, we will we are in the right place. The right time will come and we will be ready for it. You can't predict when UGC will be abolished or when the Apprenticeship Act will be amended or when um, some of the regulatory cholesterol. But it will be. I mean, I am on my fourth Labor Secretary. Even if I can't win them, I can outlast them for sure. <laughs> so may, maybe the seventh guy will agree for labor reform. Wow. Right? But it will happen. So my sense is I think compounding is a concept which is very hard for the human mind to understand. 